What's up everyone and welcome to episode 141 of the Justin Inside podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. I uh, hope everyone's well, hope everyone is settling into the new year nice and snugly. Um, yeah, I don't know what that was all about. Uh, went to my first punk rock show of 2020 the other week, which was a lovely, lovely time. Uh, it was headlined by a band called Sniffany and the Knits, who... I'll be totally honest, hadn't really heard of before I'd gone to the show, but came away a massive fan. So if you're into your sort of blown out guitars, D-beat, punk rock, then definitely go check out Sniffany and the Knits. They were really, really cool, and I'm sure bigger and better things will be coming for them. Um, I believe they're playing the Static Shock Weekender this year, which... Again, I'm going to be missing out on for the third year, which I'm really fucking pissed off about. But, that's by the by. Go check out Sniffany and the Knits. Um, a couple of bits of news that I wanted to, to bring up to your attention. Many of you will probably already know this, but um, Outbreak have announced their first run of bands, uh, including one of the headliners, which is going to be Knocked Loose, but also going to be the triumphant return of Trapped Under Ice, which is going to be fucking sick. Uh, this year's fest is being held in June and is in Sheffield, so a different city, different month this year. Um, but yeah, definitely excited about this year's outbreak and what for a first announcement, that's a pretty fucking big one. Um, also, in regards to announcements, uh, Aussie's death disco sensations Pagan uh, announced that they're sadly calling it a day. Um, I was lucky... Oh, excuse me. I was lucky enough to have Dan from the band on the podcast uh, a while back, the last time the band were in the UK. So go back through the archives, check out that episode. Um, but I also wrote a little tribute piece to the band um, over on Astral Noise. So yeah, go check that out because Blackwash is a fucking rad album. Um, been spinning it all day today. And yeah, like I don't think they're underrated because there was a lot of hype around Pagan. But they definitely deserved it, and it's sad to see see them go. Um, right, let's get into this week's guest. Uh, and this week, I am joined by Kundra and Silosis bassist Connor Marshall. Um, we discuss how the guitar was Connor's first love, and that he didn't really sort of pick up a bass until he joined Kundra. Um, how tour in America gave him and the rest of the band sort of a new perspective and a new drive. Um, and how he came to join the legendary Silosis, how that all came about. So yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Connor, and I'll see you on the other side. Joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is bassist of possibly two of the UK's premier metal bands in Kundra and Silosis, uh, Connor Marshall. Connor, thank you very much for taking some time out of your evening to have a little chat with me. Um, how was everything with you? How's the start of, of 2020 been for yourself? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Can't really complain. Um, it's been so far quiet on a on a band front. Yeah. Um, at the time of us talking, Kundra are just about to start a tour in a couple of days, supporting Insomnium. Yeah. And then all the Silosis stuff, the albums due out soon and all that, but so far it's it's been off for Christmas and say it's all starting to rattle up again. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that weird kind of lull, is January lull before everything sort of picks yeah, up exactly. again. But yeah, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, obviously 
the show is called Just an Insight. I always like to start at the at the beginnings of, of my guest's journey, so to say. So how I kind of open things up is to ask what, what kind of got you into sort of alternative music? What was your kind of jumping on point? Sure. Um, so my parents have always been into like, not super, super heavy music, but they were always into like rock and that sort of stuff. Right. So it growing up, we were me and my I've got an older brother as well, so whenever we were in car rides, that sort of stuff, it, we've never been kind of that far away from it. Yeah. Um, and then it's just one of those things where I think, say, the more you kind of discover stuff on your own, it, it tends to stretch a little further than whatever your parents were into. So, like, I remember a lot of my heavier, heavier stuff came from my brother discovering, like, Metallica and Megadeth and just blasting that through the walls. Yeah. And so I remember initially, more probably because it was just annoying being that loud more than anything else, being <laughs> yeah. like... What like what's this like turn it down what a mess that sort of thing but then um, I remember it was the basically like the clean middle bit and then of Master of Puppets when then the lead guitars come in and that sort of stuff that's what freaked my ear up to wait this is actually good yeah yeah it's all kind of gone from there to be honest so what what sort of stuff were your parents kind of listening to so I mean it's a lot of it is the kind of class stuff like you. Bon Jovi's and all of that sort right. of stuff. Uh, my mum was quite a big Foo Fighters fan. Oh, okay. So we had that on. Um, my dad, uh, I guess he still is, it's me, he was kind of dropped off, but he was a big Muse fan. So like yeah. the first rock concerts I remember going to is my dad used to take me to see Muse. Oh, okay, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, just kind of stuff like that. So nothing like super heavy, but enough, like it's still guitar driven and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so is your is your brother older, younger? He's older. He's a three three years, I think. Older okay, so it kind of sounds kind of similar to to myself because my brother was sort of listening to Corn and Slipknot and and the like, and yeah. that's kind of what put me onto that sort of thing. So, so like in terms of kind of your own sort of discovery kind of thing, like what sort of bands were you then sort of going off in and searching for? Yeah, so I guess my two main discovery points of them. Whether my brother was blasting through the wall was at the time. I don't think. I think Kerrang's still on, but Scuzz might not be. But yeah, those two channels on the TV. Yeah. So flicking through the music channels, it was always Kerrang, and then Scuzz was always the slightly heavier stuff. And so I remember about the same time, like so, before I got into the proper proper heavier stuff, I liked bands like Good Charlotte. Yeah, um, yeah. And more like kind of pop punk. That was, I guess, yeah. I went from. Maybe my my mum was two Foo Fighters that sort of stuff through discovering like bands like Good Charlotte and all that and Kerrang, and then when it really started to push and go heavier was I think Avenged Sevenfold to be honest. Okay. Who yeah I've always been a huge fan of. They've obviously had their own laws and stuff, but yeah. that's all down to opinion. But yeah, so they they were the first like new air quotes heavy band so it was yeah Metallica and Avenged Sevenfold kind of at the same time and from there it was that sort of era of bands like Avenged Bring Me the Horizon uh, less so them I, I was never massive on their heavy stuff but they were one of the bands that was just getting big when I was getting into that sort of thing yeah yeah Bullet for My Valentine were one that say at the time I really liked Trivium just that sort of era of I guess metalcore you'd probably call it yeah but that sort of stuff was what really kind of piqued my interest and solidified me being interested in alternative music so how old were you roughly around this time so this would have been this would have been probably just as i was 
Yeah, but just as I was going into it, just after I started secondary school, so probably around 12-ish, 12, okay, 13, cool. just okay. going into teens. So, were you kind of, I'm trying to think sort of age-wise, were you kind of sort of teenager when sort of the metalcore phase was kind of really at its sort of peak, like when, I'm, I'm thinking, thinking like UK bands, but like, as you say, like Bring Me, Architects and things were kind of on their ascension sort of thing? Might have been... It's hard to say because well, that sort of stuff and those sort of bands, especially architects, have only come act- like come onto and understood later. Right. Okay. So I don't know the exact sort of album years, but there's a strong chance that an album like Hollow Crown might have been out or coming right, out around okay. those times. But that's not when I would have heard it. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely more onto the like more mainstream, say whatever was on the TV, rather than the more up and coming stuff. Okay. So when when did you kind of I guess for for better, uh, better lack of a better term, find kind of the more quote unquote sort of underground sort of stuff. Then, uh, let's see. It would probably have been not a, maybe a couple of years after kind of getting into it. So from a small town called Rugby, which currently has no music scene, like, so that's <laughs> yeah. where country come from as well. But we've we've officially never played a hometown show just because rugby now doesn't have an alternative music venue. Right. We don't even have a practice space. We have to drive somewhere else to practice. Oh no! But um, at the time, although it was never huge, um, those years where I was kind of getting into it was our alternative town scenes, probably like Boom. Okay. So we had one local music venue that was uh, called the Vault, and that's where all the alternative gigs were. And so I just kind of got through that. Uh, well, got into that, sorry, of, I took guitar lessons when I was at school. Right. And the uh, guitar teacher was in a metal band, um, and I was doing, like, work experience with him or something, and someone, someone, I think, a guy called Tom Collings, he was a year older than me, but he was looking for a guitarist for his metal band, and my guitar teacher was basically like, oh, well, Connor's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up joining this guy's band and kind of found it all that way. And so through actually going to more local shows is how I peeked my head into like the more underground scene. Right, okay, cool, that's cool. Well, Just say, before that, it was, yeah, it was literally just what's on the TV. And if we went to, like, whenever me and my family had been to gigs, um, like, as, as an outing, as an event, it was always, like, arena shows and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I went straight from that to shitty little club in rugby and they kind of have <laughs> patched the middle in the meantime so I've cut, you've kind of jumped ahead of what where I usually go but that's absolutely fine because like, what, what I usually ask is sort of the instrument of choice obviously now you're playing bass but you said you kind of started with, with guitar lessons so was that kind of what yes. your, your sort of entry point then yeah so like that again was I think when I were oh, I must have been like nine or ten okay maybe um my brother had started guitar lessons at school and so he had one it's just one of those crappy little um like child size nylon string acoustic things <laughs> yeah but just like seeing that and seeing him learning guitar was like so cool to me as like a younger brother and so i wanted to start as well yeah and so next time when the next school year came around i started but at that point he'd quit okay um and so i ended up keeping up with it but yeah so i've been playing guitar for like over 15 years okay. and then somehow I've ended up being a bassist in two different bands <laughs> so where, where did the kind of bass come into it then is, it, is that a lot later down the line 
that was literally joining Kundra. Oh wow! So, okay. Yeah, so I've been friends with those guys, and I'd played in a like local death metal band with, uh, which at one point Dan and Jan were both in. Right. And so I knew them, and I was friends with them, and we'd all stayed and met each other and played shows together through this small rugby scene. Yeah. Uh, and in the earlier Kundra shows, I used to like if I. I, uh, well, but t- I think they originally asked me to play bass when they first started, but I just started university, so didn't really have the money to be travelling around to rehearsals and gigs and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And borrowed Dan's bass and just learned a couple of the songs and was like, no, nah, I'm just not feeling it. Sorry, guys, you should probably get like an actual bassist. Which they did, and it worked out and went very well for them. Um, but then I used to always go to shows if I could and like, for some reason carry all their gear for free and all that sort of stuff <laughs> to the point where and they, every now and again this gets brought up for some reason I would pay Dan petrol money to oh. go to one of their shows and basically carry his guitars for him how does that work? <laughs> I, I honestly I don't know how this works out because I, I was studying music technology at university as well and I ended up doing the pre-production for the first EP that they did Yeah. and my payment for that was meant to be a bottle of a large bottle of Volvic water and like a pack of chocolates, <laughs> which they brought me, and then drank basically all the water and ate like half the chocolates. So <laughs> I don't I don't know how this has happened, <laughs> but yeah. So that that was my entry point. So yeah, skip forward a couple of years from that, it was just as they were just as they'd finished recording my I think it was like their last or second last day in the studio. Yeah, and I got a call from them. Um, basically not asking just saying oh you're our bassist now okay. and I was like oh, okay I guess because <laughs> at this point so after from just starting university this was just as I'd finished uni and so I was having the whole thing of oh god what do I do now Yeah. and so it came along actually a really good time where I was like yeah you know what I've got nothing else on like they'd gotten themselves to a pretty decent local level so I was excited to be joining a band that had like some momentum behind them yeah and again, I ended up borrowing Dan's bass again and learning the songs this time felt a lot better. So I was like, yeah, well, why not? And it's just, it's just kind of gone from there. So yeah. yeah, I started playing bass to literally join Kundra. There we go. Well, it's, it's obviously worked out for you. Yeah, so far so good. But I, I look at it now and say, recently just got another couple of basses. So I now own more basses than guitars. And I just sit here scratching my head wondering how it all happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's just feels like a joke that's gone too far. Yeah. Well, if if we go back back a little bit, so in terms yeah. of kind of you sort of learning guitar and stuff, like you mentioned, obviously your your brother kind of started this stuff. So, were your family quite kind of like supportive in in sort of you pursuing music? Did they actively sort of encourage you, or was it just something that you and your brother kind of did off off? Well, I know obviously you kind of followed suit, but was it sort of off your own back, or did they kind of actively encourage it? kind of half enough I think it's something I don't know why my brother originally started guitar lessons and wanted to do it but say he did it's never been something where my parents have actively gone you should try learning guitar or you should do this with music yeah. but on the, on the flip side of that after after I did they've always been very supportive of it mm. like buying me guitars and gear when I was young now to you know driving us skip forward a couple of years driving me to band practice and all that sort of stuff and driving us to gigs and yet now they still come to like Kundra shows and that sort of stuff. So yeah. yeah, they've always been very, very supportive and accommodating of it. Um, but they they never pushed us into it either. It was sort of a thing of we, well, I say we found it on our own. Say for whatever reason, my brother wanted to start guitar lessons and then didn't keep it up. And by that point, I took it on and just ended up sticking with it. I think. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously kind of 
joining the band that your your music teacher had kind of encouraged you to. So was that your sort of your first band, or had you kind of dabbled prior to that, or or not? That was my first what I would, I would consider a proper band. I mean, that was still only a, a little local thing. Yeah, I think we only ever played outside of rugby two or three times. Yeah, but that yeah, that was the first thing I considered a proper band because I'd had stuff where I tried to start something at, at my own school and you have a couple of rehearsals with just the only other people you know who play instruments and that, yeah, nothing ever comes of it. Yeah, yeah. And then, so I guess in terms of, you mentioned kind of the the rugby sort of music scene. So yeah. were, were sort of like bigger sort of uh, like DIY bands coming through rugby? Like what, what, what was that kind of vibe like when you were growing up? Yeah, so, so when, when I in the I'd probably call it three or four years span where from me discovering the venue in the scene to it unfortunately closing um in that kind of boom there was yeah there was all sorts of DIY bands coming through um that were kind of like I don't know use the term local legends so like yeah they weren't big bands but they were bands that within that scene everybody had heard of that sort of stuff bands like More Gorgy Stick Out Cataleptic um just like kind of local like more Birmingham based I guess right, for us. Okay. But yeah, just those sorts of like bands. And then towards the end, I think when they were trying to um save it a bit and when it started to go downhill with the local shows they tried to bring in a few bigger bands and yeah. so the first big show they had there was Skindred played. Oh okay. Which was which was crazy in that tiny little space. But then um Silosis actually played there. I remember they came through. Oh sick. Um, my Deathmatch and Spoil Aborted came through. Yeah. Um, I think who else they had? Uh, Drowning Pool played oh, there. Wow. I think. <laughs> so yeah, like it was, it was every across that span. It was everything from yeah, like tiny little teenage local bands all the way through to yeah, um, bands like Aborted and Skindred playing with like say a, a load of the DIY bands as well. Yeah, yeah. So was there like? A moment, sort of, when you were going to those shows. Obviously, I know you were kind of already playing in bands and stuff, but that that things kind of clicked, and you thought, well, this is something that I can actively sort of pursue, so to say. And and because, as you said, you're kind of doing music tech in in university and stuff. Was that was there something that kind of sparked that that sort of love for it at all? Yeah, I mean, it was weird. It never felt. It never felt massively like it was going to go anywhere. So, like, the bands I was playing at the time, I never expected to be, you know, headlining Wembley or anything like that. Yeah. But, the, say, the, the dream had always been to be, like, a rock star since I was a kid anyway. Right, okay. And so it was just, I guess, doing my own little version of, like, my little local version of that. Um, and then the whole music technology thing basically came from just wanting to record the songs I'd written. Yeah. So I would sit and write songs on guitar, and I'd basically just want to be able to record them and put drums to them and stuff like that. So that's where that came from. Okay. And so yeah, then that kind of tailed off to say the reason I did that at college and then took it to university was I'd kind of given up on the the playing in a band as a career thing. I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to be a rock star, but I want to do something in music. I like recording, so maybe I'll look a bit, you know, working in a studio, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of that's where yeah, that's where that came from. But no, I enjoyed it. The, uh, at the time and all the bands I played in and um, it, it was fun for what we were doing but no it never felt like 
yeah, this is it, this is what I'm going to do. It just never had that big feeling about it. Yeah. So, obviously, in terms of kind of where you are now, like Kundra, obviously going off doing sort of tours around the States and the UK and mainland and whatever, but was there anything sort of prior to that that you'd kind of experienced anything playing shows outside of rugby or even touring at all, or is Kundra your first kind of experience of that? Kundra is basically my first experience of that. So my old um, death metal band and that sort of stuff, we played a few shows outside of rugby, so we'd, we'd had a vague experience of travelling somewhat of a distance to a show, but it was never that far. Yeah. Uh, and then it wasn't really a tour, but say we'd, we'd played, like I think, three shows back-to-back, but again, it, it, it wasn't really a tour, it was we went home each night between <laughs> yeah. so yeah Kundra was my first my first experience of that Do, yeah doing a proper tour where again being away from home and then doing it where like first time playing shows in other countries and then doing a tour in a different country yeah and then yeah the whole America thing was crazy so yeah Kundra has basically been the first for everything that's cool so obviously I know you've kind of briefly touched upon how you kind of finally came to to be in in Kundra but I wanted to touch upon something. So, obviously, if you said that, that they kind of asked you in the in the initial sort of embryonic stages of the band, and you obviously turned it down for for university and, and whatever, when the band had kind of started building up some sort of momentum, obviously, I know you were still friends with them and everything, but was there kind of any sense of of bitterness and jealousy that that you hadn't joined at all, or were you just sort of stoked that your friends were kind of getting this this attention um i think for the 99 percent, it was yeah i was just really happy for them yeah uh especially for so dan guitarist and vocalist he's always been like a just a fantastic songwriter even when he was like his local metalcore band at the time like we still whenever we're in a van with someone new and like we're talking about oh where we've all come from that sort of stuff we still play that band's ep to everyone that's sick like so yeah he's he's always been like a fantastic songwriter like when he joined my death metal band he instantly wrote songs that were better than anything we'd ever done before (laughs) so it was was more just really happy for them as a collective because they're all great like Jan's a phenomenal drummer like um brady had played in enough local bands and like is great at all of this sort of stuff as well um and so it was more it, it always felt like it was the right people who had finally met up and they deserved it so yeah 99 percent of it was happy for them and then yeah there was that one percent was like kind of wish i was a part of it though <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah i think and, and i think a lot of that is probably why when they did ring me up again they were like you're a bassist now i was like well i've turned it down once so i might as well try it yeah yeah let's say i managed to they, they constantly remind me of this as well. I managed to miss out on all the shitty gigs to three people. I managed to hop on at a good stage. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. You guys put in the hard work and then I'll, uh, I'll hop in the van. So, in terms of that, because I guess you're kind of almost joining an already sort of band that's moving at a million miles an hour in terms of what they're doing and, and so on and so forth. So, was that quite a kind of a shock to the system to kind of almost be thrown in at the deep end and especially where you're now playing an instrument that okay you've learned the guitar and the skills are transferable but you're playing an instrument that you're not as familiar with yeah it was a bit of a learning curve luckily i had a lot of time to sit and practice and we 
normally on a regular schedule practice every week anyway so i had a lot yeah. of time to play the songs through on bass so by the time i actually came to playing a show it didn't it wasn't horrible and i didn't feel like i was going up there not knowing what i was doing in terms of playing my parts yeah but yeah it was it was a little a little bit weird like a just being on a stage again because it had been a few years between the last show i played with my local death metal band to the first show with Kundra. yeah and again then it being like wait there's people here (laughs) (laughs) and they'd be like oh wait i'm playing a bass and then like yeah so and then obviously that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger it's like oh wait this is the first tour so now i have to adjust to being in a van and playing night after night after night now we're going over to europe which is crazy yeah like yeah like i was saying how how Kundra has kind of been the first for everything that there, there has been a bit of a learning curve that's gone along with it yeah but it's also it's been fairly seamless i'd like to think i'd like to think i've picked it up okay and we've we've played enough shows where you know it wasn't like oh well i play we do i don't know yeah say we do five or six shows but then we don't do anything for three months and so i forget it all again it's managed to be like consistent enough where once i picked it up it was just kind of polishing it off yeah make it, yeah. Say, make it all a bit more natural and, and viable can you remember what your what your first show was with them my first show was it was the holy raw beer launch oh okay i want to say is it the crofters rights in bristol yeah 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 it was that and it was us uh i think we never learned to live were headlining i can't remember who else played but yeah that was it i want to say but i could be making that up potentially i'd have to go back but yeah Yeah. it was that okay cool so i remember it was very hot and very sweaty yeah it was the first time i'd played a show in ages and so we played it and i thought it was going to throw up afterwards (laughs) (laughs) i think it went all right it was a pretty good show to to kick things off with yeah exactly this is the thing like i've I've literally struck gold and just hopped on at the right time i just walked into like like say a band already moving and a million miles an hour and finding success so yeah. all i have to do is not fuck up and it's, <laughs> it's fine well then in terms of kind of the where things have gone like you mentioned this has kind of been your your first with a lot of things so into i always find it interesting if if people had any kind of preconceptions especially when it comes to um sort of like expectations on going on tour and things like that so was did you kind of have any preconceptions of what being out on tour would be like and were they kind of met or or did you just sort of take it as it comes sort of thing uh a lot of it was take it as as it comes because i guess my only preconceptions i'd ever seen before is obviously you hear all the sex drugs rock and roll story of oh yeah tours mental you know drinking every night that sort of stuff um but we're like even just from knowing the guys before being around we're like we're just not those people at all like we're fairly boring on tour to be honest <laughs> so I, I never had any worries that that would really be the case um and then like the only other stuff i'd ever seen from tour was like band documentaries and that sort of stuff yeah like the one i always remember watching especially with dan is we'd always watch the one of the parkway drive ones right okay and that's where they're like sat on a pedalo in barcelona going like oh this is tour <laughs> yeah. and it's like, well, well i know it's not going to be that either so it was very much a hop in the van with my mates and yeah see what happens type thing yeah and obviously in the last sort of year you've been over to the states is it twice now yeah so obviously i think like any sort of uk band that, that manages to do that and get sort of a good reaction whatsoever i think 
as, as lame as it sounds, there's kind of a sense of national pride to it, sort of thing. <laughs> so, Fair enough, no, I get that. So, like, for for you, what was that kind of experience like? Was it kind of, I don't know, was it, again, just sort of going out with your mates and, and just doing making the most of it? Or was there any kind of pressure from your point of view that you were a UK band going out to what is essentially, like, the, the big market for the for the metal scene, so to say. Yeah, that one did feel a little different. Partly because it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. I remember we were sat, I can't remember which show or festival it was, but we were sat round our mate's house. We'd just woken up in the Netherlands. Okay. After playing something. Um, and we, we, not too long before that, signed to a, a fairly big agency. Right. And so we had, we had quite like a, we we tried to be like humble and like reasonable with our expectations, but we were kind of hopeful as well that actually some big stuff was going to start coming our way just because of some of the bands that were also on this roster. Right. Okay. But then we woke up to yeah an email from them that Brady because Brady basically deals with all the management stuff, so Brady told us we woke up to an email from them dropping us essentially. Oh, okay. But also, but also a separate email offering us an American tour. <laughs> so so it was kind of like it was surreal, but. The, the timing of when we were even told about it was like we'd gone from a bit of a low to a Jesus Christ high as well. Yeah, yeah. Because especially on the whole like, like I said before, like how I'd given up on the the dream of being a rock star and that sort of stuff. Like it, and it's I still wouldn't class it any of us rock stars now. But touring America was always like the thing. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like if I if I can tour in America, I've made it. So for that to be happening was was kind of surreal. And so, then it's it's such an ordeal. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. Carry on. I interrupted. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's it's such a. You don't even realise all the uh, when you're a kid at least you don't realise all the admin that goes along with it. Yeah. So it's like, okay, great. We've got this tour offer in America. I need to get time off work for this, which is you know it's five it's five weeks. That's not a normal amount of holiday to ask <laughs> for yeah. in one go. Like we need to go to get visas and like we have to apply for visas and that's a whole thing where we have to get lawyers involved and whatnot um just in like planning and we had to buy all different gear and stuff and looking to renting gear over there and all that stuff it's just there's so much more that goes into it but yeah it does become more and more daunting yeah the more you do it as in the further you get into the process yeah and especially with the whole doing it the second time, that was the thing. Like when we accepted the first one, I remember when I was emailing my boss about it, I was like, "This is like a once in a lifetime opportunity for us, so we feel like we have to take it." And then, so I don't know how work felt when skipped a few months later. I'm like, "Oh, we've got a second one." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, that that first, so all the other first, like say the first little. Uh, European tour and all that were all great but America felt like a, a completely different step like a whole different world yeah and what would you kind of say is, has been your sort of biggest takeaway from from doing those US tours um I think it's just an appreciation and a kind of reset expectation of like the work that can go into this yeah so like touring Although it's fun and we love it, touring isn't easy. And, like, it's kind of hard to explain touring to people who aren't necessarily into music or into the scene or into bands or whatever because it it's kind of like, although it doesn't seem like you're doing a lot, you're always, you're actually always doing something. Even yeah, if it's yeah. just sat in a van. Like, it's like, well, technically, I work longer days when I'm on tour than when I'm at work. 
that sort of thing. Yeah. But in America, that's like amplified because we're in UK and Europe. If we've got to drive to the next show, realistically, it's two, three hours. Whereas in America, like we're driving six, seven, eight hours to the next show, and we're still in the same state. Yeah. <laughs> and we've yeah. got to do that for like thirty shows in a row. And so yeah, it's like a case of get up, drive four, five, six hours to the thing, get up, get there, set up your merch, play the show, pack it down, do the next drive, and all of this. At least for us, um, both times has been in a very cramped van. Yeah. We've not we've not had a trailer to put a gear in or anything. So it's it's more just a, an appreciation of you know what we're willing to do to try and make this work and to push this. So we've all kind of accepted and had the conversation of well you know we're all young we're all in our early to mid 20s we don't have mortgages we don't have wives kids all that sort of stuff yeah so if we're going to push this we should do it now and i think america was a big factor in that because a a couple of us definitely had nerves about oh god what if we go out and we hate it we don't want to do the band anymore and that sort of stuff yeah so i think america was just kind of like a big a big moment for that and that's probably the main thing we've taken away from it is that although it's tough and in, in some sometimes when you are that tired and you've still got like a six hour drive to go it can suck but suck being like comparatively i'd still rather tour suck than you know just be sat back in england in the rain and all that <laughs> yeah that's fair enough so although, although it can sometimes appear rubbish actually it, it's what we want to do and we're willing to put in the work to do it yeah and then sort of into i'm kind of jumping a little bit but in terms of your kind of um like personal growth as well like i don't know like this might be just be from my perspective but because obviously with brady and dan doing the vocals they're kind of very sort of prominent within the live experience i guess but with with yourself like i don't know like you've almost become like a third front man just in terms of your sort of energy and everything that you kind of bring so is that kind of kind of come along with I guess experience or do you just kind of feel more confident and comfortable on stage now that you've kind of done so much of it yeah pretty much because I've always enjoyed like say it was never really to the same extent a lot that a lot of the what you see now is from experience but I've always enjoyed like the performance element of it and like headbanging and all of that um but yeah, like you say, a lot of it has come from we've just played so many shows now yeah. to the point where it's it's not choreographed, but it's almost second nature. Yeah. Like I know how I present in this bit and I know how I'll probably end up headbanging in this section and that sort of stuff to where it's, you're not even thinking about it, you're just doing it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was another thing about America as well is that we, especially in the UK and Europe, we've never been the band to talk or really be particularly crowd interactive yeah. just because especially British audiences, like, well, unless it's really a headline show and people are dedicated there to see you, all you get really is folded arms and nods. <laughs> yeah. So, but America, they're obviously American. They're all very loud and, you know, active and whatnot. And so having one of the main things we learned as a band from that first tour is without being, like, pretentious and cringy, is, like, learning to play to a crowd and be more confident and vocal on stage. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, a lot of it is just from learning from that and bringing that back to wherever we play. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the majority of it is just experience. Like, the more we do this, the more comfortable we get. And that goes for me personally as well. And like, the, all of that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it, it's something I've always kind of wanted to do anyway. And yeah. so the more we do it, the easier it gets, I guess. 
Well, that, that kind of brings me on nicely to, to my follow-up question. Is the more that you do the windmilling, does it get easier on your neck? <laughs> uh, kind of. I don't... Like, I think it was Brady... Brady's fairly convinced that my neck has gotten thicker since <laughs> I've joined the band. Which I, I can't confirm or deny, because yeah, obviously I live with it every day, so it, it might <laughs> yeah. have done. But, yeah, it's definitely... The head-banging and stuff in general has gotten, I want to say, easier... But also, like, I'm way more conscious of it now. That's another thing from touring. It's like you have to look after your body more on tour. Yeah, yeah. So doing stuff like warming up or warming down and stretching, like, and I, st- I struggle to keep it up as much as I want to, but I start doing yoga and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I think it's probably, again, a mix of it has gotten easier just as an act of doing it from doing it for a couple, two and a half years now. But also I'm better at doing it in terms of looking after myself. So... I can prepare and stretch so I don't hurt afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, and another kind of sort of, I guess, milestone moment for, for you guys, which happened last year, was obviously you guys playing Download. And I think, like, for me, again, from a from an outside perspective, like, that very much felt like a coming out party for you guys in terms of if a UK metal fan base hadn't heard of Conjurer before that point, they definitely fucking had now sort of thing. So, like, did you did it feel kind of special on stage? Because, like, again, like, from, from seeing you guys a couple of times, like, I think that's the most animated I've seen all four of you, not just, just you on in that download stage. So did it kind of feel like a special experience for you? Yeah, because download, so at least for me personally, da- download was the first festival I ever went to. Oh right, okay. And so, and so kind of like the same way that America was, uh, that's the dream. If I can tour the states, it was almost like if I want to play a festival, I want to play download. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, it was very much for all of us, some more than others, um, but for all of us, it was like we were aware that it was realistically, yeah, the biggest show we'd played in terms of like, like you say, defining points in careers. And then when when we kind of walked out on stage and we saw a packed tent, that was another sort of affirming thing of, right, well, we're, here we better bloody do it then. And <laughs> yeah. so I think that's a lot of where the animation, that say, I thought I was just doing a regular thing, but I didn't particularly notice if anyone else had gone more or less yeah, for yeah. it. But yeah, I think that's probably where that comes from, because it's like, well, it's download, this is what we've wanted since we were kids, and... You know, I think we had a 25-minute set or something, yeah. so it's not like we were there for ages and we could really soak it in. It was like, get up, do the job as best we can, go home. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. Um, Which, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> we had a good time. <laughs> Almost messed it up at the end because Jan decided he didn't want to play the last big riff, but we brought it back around this time. <laughs> well, no, well I d- it wasn't something I noticed, and I don't think anyone okay. else in the crowd noticed, so you're all, you're all good. Yeah, um, that was str- that was stressful. <laughs> um, before we kind of move on to to your sort of latest project, I guess. Um, yeah. One thing I did want to bring up is obviously that uh, Kundra has done this recent split with um, Palm Reader, where yes. you've kind of covered each other's songs. So where did that kind of idea sort of stem from, and and what, what how was that kind of experience sort of? I guess almost kind of a learning a different style in the style of Kundra, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it came from we initially. So we covered Blood and Thunder by uh, Mastodon, and then we also did Vermilion by Slipknot. Right. Um, 
we did Vermilion originally for one of those Metal Hammer. It was basically a Slipknot edition of Metal Hammer, so where they get lots of different bands yeah, to yeah, yeah. cover stuff like Employed to Server on it, I know, um, and a few other bands. And so we'd initially done it for that, and then Blood and Thunder, even before I joined the band, the guys would whack out every now and again. Yeah. And like we'd done it when we did the K-Pit video that's on YouTube, that sort of stuff, we played it on there. And so that was one we'd had in the bank, and people had not necessarily been asking for loads, but every now and again it would come up where people were like, oh, are we ever going to get a recorded version of that? And so when we went into the studio um, to record Vermilion, we basically just did Blood and Thunder as well because we right. knew we could just whack it out really quickly and we had the time. Um, and we figured, and we figured, yeah, like obviously Vermilion was for Mount Hammer eventually, but we knew we, we'd be able to do something else with it as well. So we had our own plans of doing an EP with covers and we knew we wanted it to be with another band. Um, I think initially, again, I might be getting things like mixed up, but it, it wasn't always Parmarin. I think initially it might have been Frontera oh, it was okay. meant to be with. And I, I honestly can't remember for the life of me why it didn't end up being them. Whether they couldn't get the studio time or anything like that, or whether it was something completely different. But yeah, uh, we were sat at Download actually, trying to basically decide what we wanted to do with it. And, um, across kind of like the area where we were we saw um andy and sam from palm reader yeah and we had mates with them and we played shows with them for ages so digital server was like we could ask them <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite literally yelled at them and told them to oh come here <laughs> and then through like yeah so how would you guys want to do uh ep cover split and they were like yeah go on then. <laughs> and that was very much it like that's how that, that came about in terms of being a release so yeah we had our covers basically ready to go anyway yeah we just we just needed a reason and like someone else to put it out with and palm reader very graciously got their act together and sorted it out that's cool and um, then, yeah holy roll were nice enough to put it out for us so that's good so then obviously as i mentioned now you are dabbling in two bands recently yes. joined silosis who I guess we were dormant for a long time and have now come back, fre well, fresh faces with yourself and new music. So where where did your kind of introduction to, to those guys come from and how did you end up joining Silasis? Yeah, so, so I'd been, I think everybody in our kind of scene, whether you're a Messi fan or not, has heard the name at least Silasis. Yeah. Um, and say they'd, they'd been through and played rugby years and years ago I kind of remember what album it would have been on when they did it um, but so they're always someone I was aware of but to be honest I'd never properly sat down and listened to them Yeah, I know I'd heard songs and I know it was like yeah it was cool but I'd never properly listened and then it was I had no idea they would come back or anything like that I literally woke up one day and I just had a message from Josh on Instagram still don't really know how he had any idea who I am <laughs> <laughs> like that. I, haven't, I haven't asked him yet because I didn't. Um, I didn't want to be like, yeah. As soon as I actually met him in person, be like, so how do you know who I am? Like, do you like me and that sort of stuff? But yeah, I've tried, I've tried to play it cool. But yeah, I literally just woke up to a message from Josh on Instagram saying, "Hey mate, um, looking for a bass player for Silosis. Would you be interested?" And it's just kind of gone from there. So, in in terms of kind of the, the I guess the, the logistics of it, because. I'm not, I could be completely wrong, but I know they're originally from Reading area, but yes. they kind of might be all over the shop now. So how does that kind of work logistically? So at the moment, um, 
we've only actually ever been together once, and that was to record the i7 music video. Right, okay. Like, we're, at the time of recording this, we're yet to rehearse or anything like that. It's all just been kind of talking over text and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, they're all, Josh and Bailey, the guitarist, they're both down in Reading still. Uh, Ali, the drummer, who's also the drummer from Bleed From Within, um, he, I think, bounces back between Reading and Glasgow. Yeah. So they're pretty much still Reading-based. Okay. And it's just it's just going to be a case of, like, I will drive down to them when need be. Okay. But say, the, the other thing with the logistics and the part of the reason I think this, this works and I'm excited for it is, obviously, with Ali being from Bleed and Josh, of course, being architects, is everybody's kind of busy anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's not a pressure of... Oh, for God's sake, we're always waiting on one guy. Like when, <laughs> yeah. the, when the schedules sync up, we'll know they'll sync up and, and that'll work. I think that's going to be kind of the beauty of it. Is And I think from from speaking to them and management, I think that's part of the reason why they asked me anyway, because they wanted someone who was in a band and kind of like got it and understood and wouldn't be someone waiting around like twiddling their thumbs going, well, why aren't we doing anything? Yeah, when yeah. Josh is off headlining Wembley with architects and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, in so logistically, so far it's been quiet, but... It's, it's going to be fine, so it's, and I'm really excited for it, so it's going to work out okay. So, in, I could be completely wrong, so in terms of, because you said the one time you've been in in the room was to do the, the music video, so were you not on the recording? I was not. Okay. So I think, Josh, I don't know how long it's been recorded and literally ready to release for, but I know in terms of some of the songs, Josh has been sat on these for a while. Right, okay. In terms, like, some of which probably not too long even after he called a hiatus. Yeah, moment. yeah. Because I think initially probably how this, from what I've heard and um, from interviews I've read with him, that's sort of how this started is he, st- yeah, he ended up calling a hiatus for Silosis because he felt kind of like um, creatively restricted by it and just didn't particularly want to do it anymore. And then it was through trying to write songs for a new project and basically going, oh, well, these kind of sound like some of songs, <laughs> yeah. is, is how he kind of fell back into it. And so I, some of this stuff he's probably had ready to go for a while. Yeah. So it's all been recorded and polished and ready to go since way before they asked me, I would imagine. I think right, I'm just the okay. missing piece of the puzzle, mainly obviously for the live stuff, and then we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. Yeah. So in terms of kind of, I guess when it was announced that there was going to be this this new material and obviously that you were joining the band and and so on and so forth like i don't know there was like a weird kind of like excitement that solasis was back so and i don't like because of the people that i'm friends with they're obviously friends with you as well so they were very sort of hyped for you as well so did you kind of understand where that kind of excitement and hope was was coming from in terms of almost Silosis being back? Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if I fully understood, because I didn't, I didn't really realise kind of how big they were, which sounds really bad. But I remember when I, when Josh initially asked me and I started kind of going back and doing my research, being like, oh, God, these guys were huge. Yeah, yeah. Like, they were really getting there. And if I hadn't stopped, who knows where they could be now? That sort of thing. And so, yeah... It, it was always when I announced it, I knew it was going to be big because on on top of that, like Josh has all his own like YouTube channel and stuff like that. Or anytime there's an architect's video, there's always someone commenting like, "Oh, when Silos is back," and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I, I knew when it when it was properly announced that yeah, it was it was going to be a big deal, and that's yeah, I'm just very lucky to be a part of it. Yeah. And it's been very nice that people have been happy for me as well. And so, 
in terms, because as you said, it's kind of a matter of sort of scheduling, uh, like matching up and and stuff. And as you mentioned at the start of this conversation, obviously, Contra are going off on on tour in a matter of days, kind of thing. So, yeah. so what's is there kind of any concrete plan with Silosis at the moment, or is it just seeing how how the cards lie? And yeah, I think it's pretty much seeing how the cards lie. That we've got the album comes out February seventh. And then we've got the kind of comeback show February 13th, um, which I think is almost sold out now, which would be great. Mm. Um, and then I'd, I'd say we've got a festival. We're doing Sunstroke Festival in Ireland. Like other stuff might pop up last minute, like last minute offers and that sort of stuff. But I think the plan is, yeah, kind of just see how it goes. Yeah. Because the as much as I think that they've probably got plans that they're going to start working on that haven't trickled down to me yet, I guess nothing can be set too far in stone because of, say, if, if someone else's band gets an offer or, I, I don't know, if, I don't know, say, Conjure wanted to go to the studio, that sort of thing. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of hard to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this and then we're going to tour here and then in these months you'll be able to see us here, 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 here. Cause it's, <laughs> yeah. As I say, unless they know that and they haven't told me yet, I, I don't think there's any of those plans. Yeah. And that that's definitely how I'm looking at it. It's like I'm just very happy to be on board and very thankful for the opportunity. So you tell me where you need me to be and I will be there. This is, <laughs> is, is, like, is where I'm at with it because I say there's no point trying to look into it anymore, I don't think. Yeah. And as you mentioned there, so I've got to ask the question about potential of Conjurer going back into the studio. Is, is album two started being written is it being talked about where are we at with that with those kind of things oh god we're trying um, <laughs> we're, yeah we've uh, our initial plans uh well i say our initial plans i remember just as i joined obviously how they finished recording mine we're looking at releasing it and then dan was talking about yeah probably want to be back in the studio within a year and i was like whoa 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 okay why don't we why don't we calm down? Why don't yeah. we give Myra a chance first? Um, but he he was super passionate about wanting to get right back on it. Probably not. I mean, none of us anticipated how much Myra would blow up. But yeah. I think, yeah, with, with Dan planning that the way he did, I think he was definitely not anticipating the amount of touring and stuff he'd be doing with it. Um, and then, so, yeah, it, it's actually just got pushed further and further back because, unfortunately, we're not a band who can write on tour and that sort of stuff we're not a jam band we don't get in the room every week and then jam out and songs just kind of happen yeah it's all a very arduous process of mainly dan he's the kind of dan and yana the main songwriters but i'm gonna try my best when i can find a free minute to hopefully contribute to this as much as possible yeah but it's like yes yeah, so we sit down somebody will write something at home they tab it up right up then it gets emailed out to everyone most likely someone will say it's shit so that means it has to be scrapped and then we start again <laughs> And it's a, yeah, it's, it's a long process. We hope, again, we can't say for definite, but the plan is, and the reason this year's meant to be quiet, although we've got a couple of tours booked in, this year's meant to be quiet. We've, we've already kind of turned down stuff later in the year. We want to try and have the album written so we can hopefully get in a studio towards the end of the year. Yeah. If, if the songs are there, hopefully for an early to mid-2021 release. That's cool. Whether that, whether that will actually happen, we don't know. Yeah. But, that's the current goal. That's the, that's the theory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, it, yeah, it's just been pushed away. It's from Dan saying, oh, I want to, you know, be in the studio and have out within a year, year and a half to, okay, maybe 
yeah, maybe end of 2020, and now it's or mid to early to mid 2021. It's just one of the things where we want it out, and we're not sick of Maya, but we're fully aware that the Maya cycle has ended. Like our headline tour that we just did at the end of last year was kind of the defining point in that. We were yeah. like, cool, first ever UK headline tour, you know, end, ending of the two year album cycle, that sort of thing. Obviously, we're still going to play shows, but we're focused on getting the new stuff out. Yeah, it's also it's also not something we're going to rush, so we're not going to just throw ten songs together just because we want to put something out there. If it takes time, it takes time, and I think we're all kind of prepared for that. That's cool. Um, Connor, before I let you go, how I like to to round this off is to ask my guest what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a oh, twist. God. So, what's your favourite country <laughs> song that you like to play live, and why? Ah, okay, cool. That's so much easier. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at favourite stuff. Whenever people are like, oh, what's your favourite song? What's your favourite album? What's your favourite film? I, I panic. <laughs> I don't know. First of all, everything goes blank and I can't even think of any song I've ever heard ever. But then <laughs> I, I can't quantify it that way. I can't go, well, I can't say this song because I'm probably forgetting another song that I really like. But so, yeah, that's a lot easier. At the moment, or at least when we um, when we were playing the Mystery shows, I really like playing Hadel. Yeah. At the moment, I'm not sure why, but that one, that one's always stuck as a favourite. Uh, Scorn has always been fun, but it, yeah, it 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 switches sometimes, yeah. and it will flick between different ones depending on the show and the set list and all of that. But I think Hadel's always a fairly firm favourite. Perfect, brilliant, Connor. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Hello, thank you for having me. It's been fun. No worries. Take it easy. See you, bud. Bye. So there we have it folks, again a massive thank you to Connor for taking some time out of his evening to have a little chat with me. Um, as mentioned, Conjurer are about to be hitting the road shortly and then we have the Silosis record and a few Silosis shows, so a lot of cool stuff happening in Connor's world at the moment. Um, if you want to keep up to date with everything that's going on with Conjurer and Silosis, as always the social media links will be posted in the description of this episode. Um, as always as well, if this is your first time listening to the Justin Insight podcast, welcome, well, and goodbye as we are closing out this show, but thank you very much for joining us. Um, if you like what you hear, then please uh, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. If it is Apple Podcasts, then please give us a little rating. Five stars would be lovely. Leave us a little review. All helps the cause. Um, that is it for another week. Um, as mentioned in last week's, if you listened, these episodes are going to be a bit more sporadic this year. We have uh, one. I have one more planned for next week, and then I'm away for a couple of weeks. Uh, so yeah, I will see you next week. But for now, thank you again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast, and I will see you soon. Yeah.